Okay. Where you live uh, has an effect on on your thinking. I, I think whether you intend it to or not. You know, there are just certain cultural things. I've I've talked about this before. You know, we lived in in Michigan for a while. I feel like I'm kind of a Washington boy. So I, while I really enjoyed Michigan, I always sort of felt a little bit like I was sojourning in Michigan. You know, uh, now I'm back in the Lord's country, <laughs> right? But there were weird things about Michigan, just certain words that they would use. And I've, I've shared some of this with you. It used to give us a chuckle. Uh, I remember talking to somebody uh, in our church. Her name was Sadie, and Sadie had a real big garden. She used to really get into her garden every year. And so I, I asked her, I said, so what are you growing in your garden, Sadie? And she listed off a bunch of things. I, I think she was growing corn and tomatoes and lettuce and some spinach and zucchini. You know, there's no shortage of zucchini ever anywhere. Um, but then she said, and pickles, I'm growing pickles. And I kind of laughed. I said, no, you're not. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're growing cucumbers. You may intend to pickle them, but I mean, you don't grow pickles, right? Well, I came to understand it wasn't just Sadie. Lots of people back there refer to cucumbers as pickles. They grow pickles. They'd say, no, you don't. <laughs> but some of those things stuck. When we uh, went back there, we said something about getting on the freeway. And somebody said, what's a freeway? <laughs> they don't use the term freeway there. They use the term highway. Huh? I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, I understand at a fundamental level that, that Interstate 90, I mean, it's, a high, it's an interstate highway, right? I mean, I get it, but I just grew up, we all call that a freeway. Uh, but nobody out there did. And you know what happened when we moved back to the great state of Washington? One day, I referred to getting on the highway. And somebody gave me a funny look and said, highway? What? Sorry, I mean the freeway. I just had, un now I never called cucumbers pickles. I never went that far. But I caught myself referring to a highway instead of a freeway, which we all know is the best way, to, you know, to refer to this. <laughs> These things stick, you know, there are just certain things that have to do with where you live. And as you open up your Bible to 1 John, we're going to start in chapter 2. We're uh, just wrapping up. Uh, this series on 1 John, this week and next week. And I'll tell you now, in the month of August, we're doing something fun and different and exciting. Uh, when Pastor Mitch talked one of the times about some of the things they were doing in their youth group, one of the things that you saw some pictures of and, and he mentioned was uh, uh, biblical improv theater. Well, we thought, let's try that here. Let's do that here. So we're going to have some of our students come and be involved in that. Uh, it's improvisational because they're not going to know what Bible story we're talking about before they get up here. It will truly be improv, uh, and we'll do that and then have a, a teaching on that, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So that'll be in the month of August. But as we wrap up First John, everything sort of comes together here at the end. And, and you know, I've been doing some jumping around uh, in the book, uh, going from, from place to place a bit more thematically. But as we do that, where I, I want to go this morning is something that just sort of ties so many of these themes and these ideas and these concepts together, starting in chapter 2. 
And I'm going to go to verse 26. And some of this we've read. In fact, I mentioned last week, we're going to come back to this verse. Uh, Verse 26 of chapter 2 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. We'll stop right there. Remember last week we talked about discernment. We talked about uh, who Jesus Christ is and who you confess Jesus Christ was. That great confession that the apostle Peter made on that occasion. But there's this understanding that anyone who doesn't confess that Jesus is the Christ, they're not telling you the truth, you know, is the bottom line. You need to have discernment about some of these teachers, and it seemed like false teachers were really rampant in their, in their culture and in their community. And so John says, here's a real quick test. Who do they say Jesus is? And it's in that context, of course, as we read last week, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in him, John says. Live in him. That is, in Jesus And again, we we read this in passing last week, but what we're going to find as we sort of go back and pick up some of these threads is you see this theme kind of throughout this letter sort of tying together all of this stuff. And John says, abide in him. And now little children, verse 28, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I mean, let's just pause there. Part of our understanding for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is A, that it's happening, hallelujah. We are looking forward to and awaiting the return, the, 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 the return of Jesus Christ. And it's first Thessalonians, Thessalonians, first Thessalonians talks about him catching us up in the air, those of us who are still alive raising first those who have died in Jesus Christ and raising them with their resurrected bodies, but then catching us who are alive up to meet them in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. We look forward to that, that it is happening. But part of our understanding is that that is imminent. See, for the Old Testament saints, for a very long period of time, and even as the New Testament opens, there's this sort of prophetic timeline that had been laid out. You could, it was like a clock was running. There were certain things that were going to happen that had been prophesied, and people could have looked for those markers and those signposts. And then God called this guy named Saul on the road to Damascus. We know him most often as Paul, but there's no instance in the Bible where it says that Saul's name was changed to Paul, necessarily. Paul's just kind of a a Greek-slash-Roman rendering of Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. He was a Jewish guy, but he became known as he traveled around the Gentile world as Paul because it just made sense, right? But he calls Paul and says, I'm going to do something different now. I am going to send you to the Gentiles, where heretofore my special covenant has been with the nation of Israel. And other people could certainly be saved through the nation of Israel, but it sort of meant adopting Israel, you know, becoming 
an Israelite and adopting all of those things. And now suddenly God says, Lord Jesus Christ says, Paul, I'm going to send you straight to the Gentiles. And I'm doing something different here. And in this new, different age, and Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, this was unprophesied before, this sort of period. Which is to say, we don't really know when it's going to end either. That is to say, it's imminent. Its ending is imminent. Imminent means it could happen at any time. There's, there's no other thing that needs to happen in order for Jesus Christ to come and rapture us. And so this is sort of what John is alluding to. He is saying, make sure that you're abiding in him because we don't, I'm paraphrasing strongly here, you understand, but we don't know when he's going to come back. It could be right now, or it could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. None of us knows. Only God the Father knows. When Jesus' disciples said, when are you coming back? Jesus sort of said, well, it's none of your business. Just go about your work, you know. We don't know. And because we don't know, and because it's imminent, and because it could happen at any time, there is this sense of abide in him because you don't want to be embarrassed when he comes back. I remember as a kid, I, I don't remember who, who specifically taught me, but I, I remember this sort of teaching, this admonition. Would you want to be doing a thing, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you do in your life? And we're all really well behaved on Sunday. But then sometimes it's Thursday night, you know, <laughs> or whatever it might be. Would you want Jesus to return right then while you were doing that thing? Isn't that a great question? I mean, it's a question that can kind of maybe scare you and make you nervous a little. But that's sort of the point here. That's kind of what John is driving at. He's saying, abide in him so that you won't, need, you won't have any need to be ashamed when he comes back. What if he comes back right now? Well, now a lot of us might be praying that. Please, Lord, come back right now because I'm in church. I would love for you to catch me like this. <laughs> but what about that Thursday night? What about that middle of the day Tuesday? Whatever it is. What about when you're sitting at your computer browsing whatever you're browsing? or when you're looking at your phone, or when you're interacting with someone in a way that's less than gracious, whatever it might be, John says, abide in him. Live in him so that you have no reason to be ashamed. Again, verse 28, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Is this a salvation issue? Is Jesus Christ going to return and catch you doing something and saying, oh, that's it, you're done? Say no. That should have been a faster response than that. Absolutely not. Because on what is your salvation predicated? 
Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. His person, His work, His activity. That's where your salvation lies. Nonetheless, can you just imagine, I, I, I love this term in, in my translation, the ESV, this shrink from him and be ashamed. You know what that's like? You had a very visual picture of shrinking from somebody. Oh, right. You can have confidence no matter when he comes if you're abiding in him. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Next chapter, chapter 3. In verse 4, and we've looked at this before, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. This is this, again, we, we addressed this before, this idea of those who are in Jesus, you don't go on sinning. And John has said, you can't say you have no sin. That makes you a liar. We're not saying you're sinless completely. But again, here in this context, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. There's the issue there, keeps on sinning, you know, just continues in it. But you catch that reference there again to abiding in him. You see how this is now tying all of these things together. It's been there the whole time. Maybe we didn't really notice it. But there it is. Later on in that chapter, very end of chapter 3. And in this context, he's talking about loving one another. Verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He sort of ties those two ideas together, that of obedience and righteousness and, and following commands, but noting that one of the commands is to love one another in this context of love. And he says that those who abide in Jesus, this is going to be one of those signs. Chapter 4, verse 13 By this, we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. This passage we just looked at about confessing who Jesus is, but again, you see this idea of the, uh, there of abiding with. This strong sense of living with. You know what it means to, to maybe share somebody's home. I mean, and I don't want to, to soft sell this idea of what 
abiding is. But it's, it's where you sort of take up residence. The concept of abiding is more than just the place that you sleep, you know. If the only connection I have to a place is, well, that's where I go to crash at night. I mean, it might as well be a hotel room, you know. That's not really abiding. Abiding is when we share dinner together. Abiding is when we sit around together, we talk together. Abiding is when we sit out in the backyard together and laugh and, and make s'mores, you know. There's a burn ban, I think, in effect, though. Don't make s'mores right now. We've been making them in our microwave. Because <laughs> you've got to have your s'mores. It's part of a family, you know. I, I saw a story uh, recently. Uh, it was a picture of a, a woman in bed with a dog cuddled up next to her. And she just had this real amused look on her face, like, you know, get a load of the dog, you know. Because the thing is, she didn't own a dog. <laughs> they found out later this dog lived some two miles away. I don't know, what, you know, the dog was out roaming around and just found her house, she and her husband's house, and decided, this looks good. And they woke up, and there was a dog sleeping between them, you know, curled up in their bed, happy as a clam. <laughs> it was great. But I mean, we understand that that didn't mean just immediately that dog abided there, lived there. In fact, what they did was, after laughing about it, they went out on social media and, and said, whose dog is this? I mean, we found a dog, and that's how they know it lived two miles away. Just because a dog laid down there didn't mean it abided there. And just because we show up to church on a Sunday doesn't necessarily mean we're abiding in Jesus Christ, right? I love that you're here. I don't want to you know, minimize or trivialize this. I've said many times, this is great. This is good. This is, in fact, essential. There's a reason that the Bible says, don't forsake this. But I've also said, if this is the only interaction you have with the body, if this is the only interaction you have with the word, if this is the only uh, interaction you have with prayer, a fellowship, you might as well just be going to a place to sleep at night, but gone every other time. That's not what abiding is, is it? You may as well just be a dog that just found a place and said, well, this looks comfy. I'll stay here for a minute. <laughs> that isn't abiding. Abiding is living in a place, taking up residence in a place. And the, the, the reason that this becomes such a great glue, if you want to turn back with me to our scripture reading, John chapter 15 The reason this idea, this concept becomes such a glue for all of the things that we have discussed is because, frankly, the one precedes the other. You know, we've been discussing a lot of these, these elements from, from 1 John. You can't walk in darkness and say that you know God. That's a lie. You can't uh, walk in sin and continue in sin and say that you know God. That's a lie. It's not true. You can't not exhibit love for one another 
and say that you are just right there in fellowship with God. That's not true. But in all these cases, see, we can have the tendency to say, okay, so I got to try really hard to be in light. I have to try really hard to, uh, to walk in love. I have to try really hard to stop sinning. And as it turns out, that isn't quite the answer. The answer has abiding. Look at John chapter 15 again. As Jesus says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what the solution is? If you are walking not in light. What the solution is, if you are not walking in love, the solution is that you're not uh, walking in existence that is free from the power of sin. What the solution is, if you're not walking in a way where you are obedient to the Lord's commands. The solution to all of these things is to come back to this concept and ask, am I abiding in Him. Where do I live? Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And I love that He doesn't just say you'll bear fruit. You'll bear a little fruit. In fact, that that. Uh, that analogy that, that perhaps would have resonated more with them that lived right around, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, vineyards. Just forgot what you, what you call a place where you grow grapes. <laughs> Sheesh. I'm still hung up on the fancy, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but we're somewhat accustomed with this. And he says, in fact, if there's a branch that's not bearing a lot of fruit, the, the vine dresser prunes it. And if someone comes along and they understand how to prune, that is not me. I'm not a great pruner. Uh, somebody just asked me the other night, we've got these rangy old apple trees in our yard. Uh, and and uh, uh, Pastor Mitch and Amber were over, and Amber said, well, what would you need to do to get these trees to produce better because they're, they're just like wild and the apples on them aren't very good. And I said, honestly, I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I think it needs to be pruned somehow, but I, I'm not really the guy to do it. Uh, but you know, there are people who do know that, who are experts. A vine dresser, what a title, vine dresser. But the vine dresser comes along and can see, oh, I, I see what needs to happen here. This, this little branch sprig needs to come off some of you who are really good at pruning rose bushes, maybe, you know, you kind of understand, you, you learn to see, oh, I, I, this, if I cut this right here, then the rest of this will produce really beautiful flowers. 
But if I don't, it's, you know. And so he says not just that abiding in him will cause some fruit. He says it will cause you to bear much fruit. Isn't that beautiful? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We talk about the fruit of all of these things that we've been looking at in this letter of 1 John. And he says it's, it's really about abiding in me. Which is why John, in this letter, talks about it. He may even have been recalling this very conversation that he recorded in his gospel. I mean, it, it wouldn't be unimaginable, would it? If as John is writing in this letter that how important abiding in Jesus was, if he was recounting this teaching in the gospel of John where Jesus says, you need to abide in me. I'm the true vine and your branches. And what you need to do is stay on me. Live here. Be attached to me. Receive your nourishment from me, your, your water and your, and your food. That You get all of that from me. And when that happens, you will bear fruit. And not just fruit, much fruit. Abundant fruit. Hallelujah. And so... What does that mean? That's great. All we need to do is abide in Him. Well, what does that mean? I've suggested, for instance, that just showing up here on a Sunday probably isn't going to completely get the job done. It's good, but that alone, in and of itself, probably won't get the job done. So is the answer to show up here Monday through Saturday, too? You know, just come and... I'm not suggesting that's the answer either. Um, and we, we look forward, I told you about biblical improv theater in August, but later on down the road in fall, we do have a sermon series planned on spiritual disciplines. I say it like that because that sounds so, honestly, it sounds really dry, doesn't it? Spiritual disciplines. <laughs> but you know, those activities of life, that we're called to pursue. And, and, and all of that is going to answer in a lot more depth, I think, this question. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, I, I think there are a number of ways that we can do that. But if you go back to 1 John, I want to call out one thing in particular. 1 John chapter 2, back in chapter 2 now. Verse 24 says this, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Isn't that interesting? There's that word abide again. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This is what John wants to come back to, especially in a, in a culture, in an area where there was so much false teaching, where there was so much untrue, potential confusion. And John just says, this, this stuff that you've heard from the beginning, this gospel teaching, we church leaders and apostles, you know, we've come through your city and we've laid it out for you. We've spent time teaching you that word, that gospel, 
this scripture. Let it abide in you. And when you let that abide in you, you will abide in him. Now we're going to suggest there are other things that along with being in the word, that being in prayer is good. That being in fellowship with other believers is good. That there are so many of these practices. I mean, we don't just say in a legalistic sense, you should come to church because church is good. We say you should come to church because it's one of the means by which we are drawn into abiding in Him. We say you should be in your Word as often as you can because it's by that that you are drawn into abiding in Him. It's a promise we have here internally just in this letter. When we say you should pray, you should have time of prayer by yourself, you should have time of prayer with others, but it it, it is that communing with, you're abiding with Him. See, it's more than just every now and then showing up and crashing in a place. It is this constant letting Him abide in you and thus abiding in Him. And when that happens, there's fruit. Much fruit. Hallelujah. I love this letter. I love, as we'll continue wrapping everything up, finish wrapping everything up next week in this letter. But there have been so many things. Again, these signposts of someone who is a child of God. These markers of someone who truly knows Him, who has a relationship with Him. Walking in light, not walking in darkness, not walking a life that is dominated by sin, walking in love, walking in obedience, in all of these ways, but this beautiful tie, this glue that holds it all together is this fundamental question, are you abiding in Him? Is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ just a place where you crash every now and then? Or is it the place where you live? Because just like I accidentally referred to a highway when I moved out here, it's because of the place I lived for a long time, you know. When you live in Jesus, when you abide in Him, this other stuff just happens. Part of John's intent here is to warn against these false teachers and to warn people even from maybe being a false teacher of themselves and lying to themselves and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. And John says, well, I'll tell you what, if you do, then you don't continue on in sin. So if you're continuing on in sin, then you're not telling the truth. Don't say you have no sin. That's not true. But if you just continue on in it, there's a disconnect there. 
If you tell me that you are close to the Lord, that you're a follower of His, but you don't exhibit love for one another, there's a disconnect there. You can't, do we have breakdowns? Sure. Do we have that one person who just is really in a special challenge? Yeah. If it's only one for you, you're blessed, you know. (laughs) But if that's the pattern, see, there's something wrong. But the solution here is to be abiding in Him. And I love as we close this morning, just this idea, again in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, let what you heard from the beginning continue to come back to this. Let what you've heard abide in you. Let this word abide in you. Let this live in you. Let this take up residence in you. Not just crash in your heart on Sundays. But let this dwell in you richly because when that happens, you will be abiding in God. Hallelujah. That's not legalistic. That's not a set of rules. That has everything to do with a relationship with your God who has given you His Word and has said, When you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. All of these things will happen. How do you abide in me? Well, in one sense, you let this abide in you. Where do you live? Not just where do you crash, like a dog who found a comfy bed. Where do you live? Where do you abide? Because that will have all sorts of effect on the fruit or lack of fruit that you produce. Where do you abide?